Bird Note presents. Birding is for everybody. That's sort of our tagline, like not just birding is for everyone, birding is for everybody, every kind of body. And disability is just part of our variation. Everybody benefits from accessibility. Everybody benefits from feeling welcome and included. I want to be birding when I'm 95. I'm probably not going to be as like fit and agile as I am now. So, you know, this is a conversation that's about all of us. This is Bring Birds Back. I'm Tanaja Hamilton. And this season, one of the big things I've been looking at is finding community in the outdoors. That's what led me to Birdability, a new organization centered around making birding more accessible to birders with disabilities. According to the CDC, one in four Americans has a disability. Freya McGregor is the coordinator of Birdability. The organization is all about addressing something Freya calls access needs for people with disabilities. Everyone has access needs. To get to a third story on a building, I need stairs or an elevator. I can't just fly. That's an access need. But for non-disabled people, these needs are generally just met. We're talking about people with disabilities and other health concerns. Very often these access needs are not just defaultly met. She says that even something as simple as the language we use around birding can exclude people with disabilities. Going for a bird walk implies people in wheelchairs can't be a part of it, even if that's not the case. Freya has a background in occupational therapy, specializing in blindness and low vision services. So she brings that perspective to her work too. Many people talk about bird watching. And it's really obvious to me that you don't have to see birds to enjoy them. Most sighted birders bird by ear to some extent, even if it's just, oh, I can hear a noise, let me go look for it. There's no one right way to love and appreciate birds. There's so many ways to engage with nature. Similarly, there's no single way for disability to look. Disability is really diverse. People who are blind or have low vision have different access needs than someone who is using a power wheelchair. A power wheelchair user has different access needs than someone using a manual wheelchair. Someone who is autistic, who has sensory sensitivities, combat veterans with PTSD, like you're going to have different needs than someone who has chronic fatigue. Birdability is working with people all across that spectrum of disability to move things forward. Now, there isn't time on a 30-minute episode to dive deep into birding access needs for every disability, so today we're going to focus on birders in wheelchairs, or with motor disabilities. Back in March, I traveled to Wheeler National Wildlife Refuge in North Alabama to meet with Freya and some avid birders with ambulatory disabilities. Good, how are y'all? We're good. I'm Tanaja. Hi, Tanaja. There's Linda Neighbors. She uses a manual wheelchair. Hal Tishner, he uses a power wheelchair, and BJ Allen, who's using a wheeled walker. Nice to meet you all. As we started along the trail, BJ told me all about how she first got into birding. A friend of mine, many, many years ago, back in the 80s, she had put up some bird feeders in her yard and she was getting birds that she didn't know what they were. And that she had seen this special studies class to teach about birds. And so she thought, I'm going to do that, and but it'd be nicer if I could do it with somebody. So she asked me, and I said, sure. And we're both still birding. <laughs> wow. 
in any of the classes you took, did they kind of talk about accessibility and birding? Never mentioned, and most of the class was elderly people. That's unfortunate. A lot of them didn't participate in some of the field trips because of it. We got to the end of the trail to a really fancy observation booth. It's like the glamping version of a bird blind. Basically, a little cabin with floor-to-ceiling windows where you could watch the birds more easily without them even noticing you. This is gorgeous. Yes. Yeah, so we really love this observation building because some bird blinds will have windows that you peer out of and they're often not at the height of a seated person or a shorter person. But the windows here are from like a foot off the ground right up high so everyone can see out no matter where they're sitting or no matter where their eye line is, which is really cool. The other thing that's cool is because they have the microphones on the outside of the building and then there's speakers on the inside so that we can hear the noise the birds are making, the volume is up. So people who are hard of hearing might have more chance of hearing that sound from inside than they would from outside. That's really cool. We spent a while in the observation room watching a pair of wood ducks. They're so pretty. To me, they're one of God's masterpieces. He's got white line in around all of his colors. We debated if we were seeing greater or lesser yellow legs. They look really, really similar. So, um, what's the consensus that they were lesser? I think they're lesser. In what I read, the lesser has a very straight bill, and the greater has an upturned bill. We saw an osprey, shovelers, a bald eagle plucking a fish from the water. Y'all, I was living my best life. While we were taking joy in all the birds and talking about the space, a park ranger Freya knew stopped by. He's a ranger. Not in uniform. <laughs> His name is Dave Young, and he helps manage the birding facilities for the refuge. He was excited to talk to us and to hear from Freya about what was and wasn't working about the infrastructure and how it could be improved. While this building is above average, Freya still saw a number of places that it fell short. One thing that would be great for them to adjust in this um, viewing area though. They have like bleachers for people to sit on, which is lovely, people who want to rest, it, that's great. But it doesn't leave a lot of circulation space for mobility devices to get in and move around and not crash into people. So having a bit more circulation space is really valuable. Hal here in his power wheelchair, it was tricky for him to get in and out around this corner. The air conditioning unit things that's taking up floor space yeah. could be maybe mounted on a wall or something out of the floor space would have made his life a little bit easier. It's helpful to have feedback from visitors, suggestions, even if they're small. I think a lot of times we overlook those things because um, it's not our lived experience. Did you guys have any other comments on the space? For Hal, something immediately came to mind. If you could pave that path out there, it'd be great. What is it about the crushed granite that is difficult in a power wheelchair? It, uh, it just feels very uncomfortable on yeah. the lower back. It was actually in our original plans of renovations. Then um, it became a cost factor. It got pulled out. But it is on our radar. Even if we can't act on it right away, it's something that's... The wheels are turning. The thought is in the back of the head for when, when the opportunity comes up. Freya spends a lot of time on things like this working with facilities managers, and communicating how birding spaces can be made more accessible. Birdability also seeks to empower a welcoming and inclusive birding community. 
that idea is about trying to modify the social, the cultural and the institutional environments of birding because if they don't support it, it doesn't matter how beautiful that trail is, how accessible it is, if everyone using it is obnoxious (laughs) or racist or the bird club isn't being inclusive, you know, like people with access challenges in particular aren't going to go do that thing. And the third goal of birdability is actively inviting people with disabilities to join the birding world. It's not just enough to go, oh, well, we've built it, they should come. Like, you've got to be intentional. Like, we we really want you here. Like, come join us. This was a huge part of BJ Allen's story. BJ had been on the Alabama birding scene for over 30 years. She was the first paid employee of the Birmingham Audubon and served a term as president of the Alabama Ornithological Society. But then, in 2020, she was in a head-on car collision, and she wasn't able to go birding. After my accident, I just felt like I would never feel normal until I could go out and bird again. Even as she recovered, BJ was nervous to try birding again. What if she traveled a long way and she couldn't use a trail or if someone judged her? But then, a friend invited her to an event with birdability that was just over the hill for BJ. And I thought, well, I could go and try. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, I can just turn around and go home. (laughs) And that's where I met Freya and everything, and it was really nice. I mean, you don't feel like you're sticking out like a sore thumb. And um, just seeing all my birding friends and everything, it was, that was, I felt like, okay, things are going to get somewhat back to normal one of these days. So this was kind of the activity that made you kind of like, it felt like getting back out there. It felt like yourself. Oh, yes, definitely. I feel like a member of the human race again. Yeah. How come? What what is it about birding? Just observing nature and seeing how everything fits together. Mm. And it's a big way for me to realize a higher power is definitely Mm. in charge because we could have never figured this out. (laughs) (laughs) After the break, We continue to explore Wheeler National Wildlife Refuge, talk about empowering folks with disabilities to be able to bird on their terms, and the biggest obstacles to making our birding spaces more accessible. Be right back. And we're back, exploring more of the Wheeler National Wildlife Refuge. There's somebody out there, but he's in that thicket, or she is the case maybe. It's in the thicket, so who knows? Do you see it? See something. Nope, it's a branch. <laughs> leaf birds, rock birds. Leaf birds. <laughs> in the fall, the leaf birds are the worst. Yeah. We did actually see a lot more birds, and I even learned some new names. Like, BJ taught me about the delightful nickname for the yellow rump warblers, Butterbutt. Because if you look right on the end where their tail meets their body, remember when butter was served in little pats, little square pats? It looks like somebody placed one of those right on their rump. (laughs) Like it's yellow. Yeah, Yeah, and it's yellow. And it's easier to say than yellow rump warbler. Something that both surprised and inspired me is how much people within the disability community are learning from each other, from their differences. Like, Linda Neighbors has been on the field trip committee for Alabama Audubon for about five years, pushing for more accessible trips. 
So it's like, okay, I really want us to start to let people know if they look at our field trips, mm. which field trips are accessible. Yeah. And how are they accessible? You know, is it wheelchair accessible? Is it just, it's easy walking mm. or, you know, more? And Frey has been so great as far as, I guess, bringing my awareness up. Like what? As far as accessibility. Well, vision. Yeah. You know, I don't think of low vision folks as being birders, but they're probably a lot better birders than I am because they bird by ear so mm -hmm. much. People want to be as independent as the other person is. And so it's just being aware of those limitations that people have that are not obvious, whether it's hearing or vision or, you know, maybe something like autism or some of the more silent issues that, that people have. Building community and bringing birders with disabilities together is, of course, a huge priority for birdability. But so is empowering people to bird independently. Like if you want to be doing this by yourself, you know, being outside in the woods or by a lake or somewhere by yourself, like that has so much power that is very different than being there with a friend or a group. And to help birders with disabilities go solo if they want to, Birdability has created the Birdability Map in partnership with the National Audubon Society. There's a really detailed checklist for evaluating parks and trails, and anyone can help contribute to this map. So birders with different access needs can know if it's a place worth going for them. It's not an assessment. It's not designed to like give you a score or anything. Mm -hmm. Just tell us what's there. Are there benches? Do they have armrests? Mm -hmm. What's the surface of the trail? Is it concrete or is it gravel or is it a mixture of both? And that detailed information is really important for a lot of different people to know if that's a place that, you know, it's worth driving two hours for. Right. Or not. Now, in an ideal world, way more places would check all the boxes and be super accessible spaces. So what's standing in the way of that? One challenge is that some birders have opposed accessibility improvements like paving a trail, worrying that the construction would be detrimental to the birds. But there are answers to these concerns. Construction could be done outside of the migration season to have the lowest impact on birds. And some researchers have been looking into how paved paths might actually protect ecosystems in some cases by promoting more people to stay on the trail. And it's not like birdability wants every trail to be paved. We're not trying to have, you know, concrete trails up Mount Everest. Like, that would be bizarre and impossible. But, <laughs> you know, we're not trying to say like every trail in the world needs to be, you know, 0% gradient and 62 inches wide. But the places that could be accessible but aren't really quite there yet, those are the ones we would like to see. Another big obstacle to creating more accessible nature spaces is money. But the thing is, it's always going to be less expensive to include accessibility from the beginning versus trying to tack it on later with renovations. That's when it can get really expensive. It's better to invest that money up front. And maybe the biggest challenge is that people designing and building these spaces and trails don't know what people with disabilities need. That's an information gap Birdability wants to fix. There hasn't been a really detailed, thorough resource about accessibility for site managers and so on to reference when they're designing trails. And so they don't know this stuff. That's something we're trying to address. We have a lot of information on our website about like what this access feature is and who it's for and why this is important. As we continue down the trail, we pass the bench off to the side. 
Here's a great example of a bench that's not quite as good as it could be. So mm. we love armrests because they help people transfer from yes. sitting to standing. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, this bench, it is on the same surface as the trail is, but there's a wood edging to the trail that you have to drop off to get to the bench. And so, for example, perhaps BJ with her walking frame, that could be a real challenge, even though she really wants to sit down, she's yeah. gonna have to get up another inch to get back on the trail. And then, like 50 feet further down the trail, we pass another bench, except... See how it's smooth? There's no plank of wood that changes the trail. So there's not the same potential barrier that there is back there. It seemed odd to me. Why were these so different? Dave told me that this was a planning thing. See, a lot of times, things like benches at wildlife refuges and parks will be built as Eagle Scout projects or as work from different nonprofits. So the processes aren't connected. So I'm guessing this was one person's project where another bench might have been a scouting project. Yeah. And there wasn't that discussion ahead of time about that detail. Sure. Yeah. And there, there probably was at the time of this construction. And maybe something where, like, you know, if a facility manager has, like, a contact they can go to if they have an Eagle Scout that wants to build something, say, hey, can we send this to somebody that can just look it over and point out anything that might need to be changed yeah. ahead of time? I think that's a really great resource for somebody building those things. It's called things. the Birdability website. It's called the Birdability website. <laughs> <laughs> I will share that with my colleagues. <laughs> Dave's humility, willingness to learn, and genuine appreciation for feedback was really wonderful to see. And that's something we can all do to make birding a more welcoming and inclusive space. Freya has so many ways for people to get involved. We have strategies on our website about being a more welcoming and inclusive birder. Read them, do them, <laughs> try, think about this stuff. Advocate to your bird club or your Audubon chapter or your local state park for ways that as organisations they can be more inclusive. There's ideas all over our website about that too. Advocating for your local birding group to be holding regular accessible bird outings. You know, reaching out to folks saying, hey, do you want to come? Like, we'd love you to come along. What do you need from us so that you're able to participate? Yeah. There's lots of things to do, but start somewhere because that's how we get places. As I traveled home from Wheeler National Wildlife Refuge, what I kept thinking about were the moments of pure joy, of birders having a good time, sharing in each other's company, delighting in our feathered friends. That's a feeling we should all be able to have. Look at these guys bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. <laughs> they just make it look so easy to swim, to fly. It is for them. It is for them. They're geese. <laughs> I know, but they look at us and say, look how easy they make it look to stand up and two feet and just I know. walk around. Bring Birds Back is produced by Mark Bramhill and me, Tanaja Hamilton. Sam Johnson is our production assistant. We're edited by Oluwakemi Aladesu and Allison Berenger of Rough Cut Collective. Our fact checker is Connor Guerin. Our content director is Allison Wilson. Scoring is by Cosmo Sheldrake and Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Vicki Merrick and Rekha Murthy.